The 2020 MPL Queensland season is now in the books, and once again, it's the line that rules across Queensland. Welcome to this edition of the MPL Sunday Show, being recorded the day after the 2020 MPL Grand Finals. It's Scott and Adam with you today. Adam, how are you? I'm good, Scott. A bit tired, but uh, yeah, fantastic weekend of football at Perry Park, and I think like most people, I'm glad it's sort of over as far as at least the MPL Queensland uh, portion of it goes. Absolutely. We certainly enjoy covering the football Queensland competitions all across the season, but uh, it's been a very long year. I think we're both looking forward to a little bit of a break. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, there's no rest for weary as far as some rep games and friendlies, um, marquee friendlies to go on the next couple of weeks. But yeah, as far as you know, club land goes, um, yeah, I think not only us, but I think uh, all the players, the officials, and probably spectators as well, I think would be just glad that you know this remarkable season is in the books and you know, look forward to 2021. And we've said this a few times, we have to give credit to everyone involved in, in the competitions. We had to get a full season or home and away season plus finals up and running in all three competitions, plus in the juniors as well. To get that done in these circumstances is truly outstanding. Oh, yeah. Look, everyone look everyone from, you know, Football Queensland right through the clubs, right through to, you know, the players, you know, the officials, um, and look, and even the spectators, the parents. Look, as a football community, I think we should all be very, very proud that, you know, we got a full season in um, despite the challenges of the pandemic. So, and uh, look, I think last night, the images of last night, Perry Park, are, you know, a fitting epitaph to the season. Absolutely. So we'll go through all three games over the weekend in reverse chronological order, including some interviews with players and coaches after the games. But we'll start off with the most recent of these games, Adam, the MPL Men's Grand Final. And it was Lions FC who came from fourth place in the end to win the Grand Final 1-0 over Olympic FC with a goal in the 51st minute from Nathan Reardon. It was a result that not many people picked, but it was. you certainly shouldn't be surprised that Lions had that winning mentality to get over the line. Oh look, this is a um, this is a rivalry that you know that basically it added a new chapter to to it, and uh, now there's a, there's a typical Lions versus Olympic you now high stakes game, plenty of drama, you know, plenty of um, action, and in the end of the day, it was one. It was one moment that uh, decided the game. But, uh, look, it's a game that's going to live long in the memory, you know, for happy memories for some and not so happy for others. Absolutely. So we'll go through all the incidents in just a moment. But when you, you mentioned the fact that it's a typical Lions-Olympic sort of clash, tight and tense, when I think back to the game in the second last week of the regular season, whatever round number that was, it was all over the place this year. But that was a game where Olympic were absolutely at their best, wasn't it, in terms of their attacking attacking style of play, really cutting through lines on that night. And that's not what we saw last night. It was very much a different game, a more tighter, tense, niggly sort of game, if you like. And it really it really stifled what Olympic normally do, and it brought Lions right back into it. Yeah, look, I think you, you really couldn't, in hindsight, you couldn't actually take much of a lead from that uh, that game in the second last week of the regular season. Uh, it, it was a case of Olympics still had the hope of potentially... Well, actually, no. They, they, I was going to say, I was about to say, potentially win the title, but they, but potential power actually claimed it night before. But um, where they, I think they were sort of amped for it, and whereas Lions sort of they were out of premiership calculations by then, so they sort of played probably with a little bit more freedom. Um, but look, you had you, you were about to believe that you know Lions were going to come into a game plan, and look, they executed it well. They most certainly did. We should go. We should talk about that because it was really obvious what they were trying to do, wasn't it? They really put the pressure on. They actually pushed pushed numbers forward, and it was. We'll talk about the goal later on, but Martin Simic was pushing forward into midfield quite a lot, or staying forward after set pieces to try and put that defensive pressure on that Olympic playing out from the back, and that was quite effective because Olympic always like to play out from the back, and Lions seemed part of the plan seemed to be to put pressure on that and try and force an error back there. 
Yeah, it it looked like there was a there was a real concerted approach from from you know Marta Simic and Marko Jankovic, are two sort of you know their big sort of you know, defensive weapons. You know, it's not only to um, sort of stifle out of the back as well, but also Stephen White, who's a very very you know you know a linchpin player. You know, he's he's the man that normally is responsible for you know that supply line to that attacking you know forward line of um of Olympic, and you know. It, they, they they did an excellent job shutting him down and you know, and forcing him to pretty much play out from the from the edge of his own um, penalty box and also as well they also as well did a good job you know negating Phil Lazen which is normally the backup plan so it, it was a case of um, Olympic having to sort of start their attacks a lot further out under pressure than they normally would against our teams would have been successful so I think it's one game plan that that the Lions coaching staff really uh, honed in on as far as trying to disrupt you know the Olympic the free flow Olympic style. So there really wasn't a lot of free-flowing Olympic style at all. In the first 15, 20 minutes, Jez Lofthouse had a few moments where he was making mazy runs from the left-hand side, looking like he was going to be quite dangerous throughout the game. But apart from those, there was really only one chance for, for Tasku Sakia midway through the second half where they really did start to open lines up. So they really did nullify that. Yeah, the, the the two plays in the first half that uh, that were the opportunities uh, were, were both, were both um, balls over the top. And uh, and sort of you know either Kostasaris or just Lofthouse actually got on to the end of it. So um, as far as you know, them playing through uh, the the defence like they have done to so many other teams this year, um, it just didn't happen. And again, that was that was that Lions you know defensive mentality that was able to stifle their, their general play. Absolutely. So we'll talk, you were talking about Kostasaris. So we'll start going through the chronological order of the game now. And he had a great chance early on, didn't he, Kostasaris, with a good ball in from the left hand side at the, at the back post on the right hand side, just. His shot went just past the post. It did, and, that, and if that goes in, um, we may be talking about a different game. That, that's and Costasaros, he's, he's a player who's in form, you know, scoring goals. So it was a real shock to see him sort of, you know, sort of to put that wide. But uh, look, grand final, grand final pressure. Sometimes it gets to the, gets to the best of them. Absolutely. So now we'll go, we'll go to what we're calling penalty number one of four. We'll go through all of these, and it was a ball from Corey Sewell from memory down the left hand side for yeah. Jez Lofthouse, who was challenged by Andy Thompson. For me, it was just outside the penalty area, Adam, that one. I think the, the challenge started out of the penalty area and went into it, so I'm not sure whether you want to call that a penalty or a free kick, but there was pretty clearly contact on that one. Yeah, look, it's it's one of those ones where even you, you I, when we were off, sort of off talking before, you, you alerted me the fact that the potentially that it was outside the box. It's something I didn't sort of consider, you know, watching it last night, but watching it again. But even if you take that away, and if even if it was, contact was initiated in the penalty box. Um, yeah, it's one of those ones where, look, you could make arguments either way, but I think what it does, it would have set a standard of what, of you know, similar um, penalties, which we'll obviously we'll get into, you know, shortly as the game progressed. Um, but yeah, look, it was one of those ones where, at the time, um, viewing it live, I, look, I was comfortable with it being called, you know, you know a non, non-penalty, but then again, you know, so be, but the referee had done the job to set that consistency, and that's what anyone asks normally, is that, you know, the referee is consistent in the, in the rulings. At that point, I was also quite happy with that being not given as a penalty. Mm. Just the events later on that might make you think, is that actually a penalty yeah. in the context of this game or not? We'll move on now to a non-penalty issue, and it was a challenge in the corner by Costa Saros, who I, I believe it was on Jacob Alexander from memory. Uh, it was it actually bit, Mitch Hall. Mitch Hall, I beg your pardon. Yep. So it was on Mitch Hall, and it was a bit of a high foot there, and there was no nothing given for it. And I remember thinking, there's. I thought there had to be at least a yellow card for that. To me, it was a very clearly a yellow card challenge. If it had been a red card, you couldn't 
really have argued too much because it was a very high challenge. Yeah, it was um, it was a reckless uh, challenge from Costa Saros. Um, look, I don't I don't think it's malicious, but um, but yeah, look, it caught it caught um, Henry Hall very high, very in the just to sort of you know that upper knee uh, thigh region, um, and yeah, it did look ugly. And the fact that he got nothing for it, and I don't know, I don't even recall if it was a free kick. Um, it was it, a free it might, kick. It, yeah, so it was. Yeah, at least that's one thing uh, there. But uh, yeah, look, it's probably. It should have been a yellow. There shouldn't even been any thought on that. The consideration could have and should have been, what was it, a red card? And look, I've seen those given on a dangerous play. And, you know, unless you're a very, very, you know, parochial Olympic, sorry, Olympic supporter, you probably disagree. But I think most, most sort of neutrals would say that, you know what, they wouldn't have been shocked if to see uh, Saros get his uh, marching orders. So I think a yellow card there would have been entirely appropriate given mm-hmm. the context of the game. But they had, I think it should have been at least a yellow card. Now, we went to penalty number two. Now, this is the only one of the four that was actually given, Adam. It was a ball from Mitch Hoare. Beautiful ball, actually. We give credit for the pass from Mitchell Hoare to find Joe Duckworth in the penalty area. And Danny Driver made contact with him. I'm not sure there was enough contact there, actually, to give the penalty, but the referee did give the penalty. What are your thoughts on the actual penalty decision before we talk about what happened after it? Look, in, is- in isolation, I-, I, would have- I have no problem with it. However, you go back to the 25th minute, and you, you compare it up, and then you say, wow, you know, if, if the referee was being consistent, he should not have given that penalty. That's, that's, that's my thought on that. You know, like I said, if you, if you just flash that, that incident in isolation, I'm saying, yep, look, I've got no problems with that. Uh, but yeah, like, then again, if the referee's going to be consistent, yeah, he probably, should not, he probably should not have given it. Absolutely. And it was a great save from Lockie Hunter there to deny John mm. Carlos Salorzano. So you could... But at least from the Olympic perspective, the any if it wasn't a penalty, at least it was, at least there was no um, no damage on the score sheet because of it. Yeah, look, that, in a way, it's probably probably karma in a way that you know working. But look, it was a good save by um, by uh, Lockie Hunter, and uh, whether uh, Saul's no sort of you no know, really sort of took you know was that it took his best strike at that. But uh, yeah, look at the. It wouldn't come back to penalty saves. You always get credit to the keeper, and it was it was a very very good save, a strong save, and uh, it kept Olympic in the game. Absolutely, a great save from the goalkeeper of the year in the MPL Queensland. Now there were two penalties late in stoppage time. The first of those was uh, was a, a kind of a foul on Taskusaki. I'm not sure it was. I'm happy with that one not being given a penalty. Adam, I mean, there was a little bit of contact there, but I think for me that one would have been a little bit on the softer side to give. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's probably in line again with the first, with the first penalty um, that, that wasn't given. That yeah, look, there was there was a bit of a shove, um, but probably not enough. I think, especially Tasca Sakia, who you know has been known to sort of go down softly as well, um, and that probably would have entered the referee's mind. Uh, look, Yuta Kasahara probably you no know, got off luckily there, um, especially sort of you no, know, it was in wide open spaces, but. Again, that that one, if the consistency was met, I'd say, look, I'd be comfortable with that being, you know, a real play on. Yeah, so that one I'm comfortable with the play on. But Adam, you can talk through the next one. But to me, this was this was very much clearly a penalty in my mind. Yes, uh, this one. This, this, in fact, the, the fourth one on, uh, again, it was uh, Yuta Kasahara that brought down uh, Tasuka Sakia. Uh, that one looked, uh, this one, I, I cannot believe that this wasn't given. Um yeah, it's yeah, it's wise ones. No matter what the consistency, this this for me was stonewall, and I'm I'm not sure what the referee or the assistant saw or didn't see, but uh, yeah, that one, that one, that was the one that sort of you know really broke the the 
you know, it was the final straw broke the camel's back as far as Olympic goes, as far as, you know, yeah, this game, because that one I thought was, yeah, it's hard it's hard not to describe any other way than it should have been given and it wasn't. Yeah, well, I had, my view of it was completely obstructed. So I didn't see it again until this yeah, morning. Sorry I, look at, I think that's very much, you're, <laughs> you're right. But it was very much, I thought that one was very, very harsh not to be given in that moment. I think the referee probably thought, I'm not going to be, not going to be giving anything here that decides the game unless it's absolutely obvious and to me that one was obvious enough to give yeah. it but he referee thought differently and you know it's so difficult not to feel sorry for olympic with these decisions is it particularly given what's happened in the last couple of years yeah look that, that that's sort of the one thing that yeah that i, I do feel so sorry for olympic uh yeah three three lot grandfather losses in a row uh where they have been you know if, if not the superior team, but one of the superior teams in the league. And, um, yeah, for, for to, uh, to go down three times in a row, like, I, it's hard to know where they go go from here. Like, especially with a lot of these players who've been there from uh, from uh, season one, one where in this run. Like, Steve, Stephen White, for example, uh, who had to do the sort of the, the losing captain's speech. Like, he may as well have just... Uh, just recalled from the past two years and look at to be honest yeah he, he had no words and I, I don't blame him it's well what do you say when this is the third time it's happened so and i also feel sorry for um ben khan as well uh, you know and uh and most of all we go because ito in his final game i am a great servant to to not only olympic but to football and you would like to see him go out and win a however with that said he also congratulate lions um who you know they, no one really gave him much of a chance. I think even even us, we thought, you know, it would have been tight, but we sort of favoured Olympic as far as, you know, be, thinking that they would be too strong in the end. Um, but look, champion clubs find a way. And and it's just so this this Lions club, and we'll talk about, you know, the Doms and the women shortly. But yeah, look, it's just something in their DNA that they, they find, always find a way when you, just when you think that, look, they're done, they're cooked, that, you know, you even, and it, and we'll talk about last night. If um, that if two weeks two weeks ago we we're talking about, oh, would Lions be you know holding up the trophy? Uh, we said no way. And so I think congratulations to them for finding a way to Darren Simon, the whole coaching staff, and the team. Um, look, it was a remarkable job. And yeah, they justifiably are you know celebrating today as the grand final winners. So we'll talk more about Lions in a moment. But back to Olympic. I mean, it is so hard not to feel sorry for them. I mean, you could see in Steve White's face and his words last night, he just did not want to give that speech. And the players were really, they just wanted to get out of there as soon as possible after that. You can completely see why. And it was their first loss in 16 games. Yeah. Their last loss was two Brisbane strikes. I believe that was in about August. So it was yeah. a fair, fair long time ago. And it's just, for, th- for three years in a row, to fall, to get so close and fall short, you can see why it's... Uh, why it's such a painful thing for them. Mm, oh, absolutely. Uh, it's it's just the hardest thing seeing that, you know, it, this game was always going to be high stakes because, uh, like I said, you had the all the motivation for Olympic to finally break that duck. But also as well, you know, to see Lions sort of, you know, rise from the ashes after what they, they would have considered the failure of a season. I still, and I still think in a way um, it's probably just a, it's a consolation because uh, I think for them and for all these, for all these clubs, you know, you know, at the top end of the NPL table, the league is what is matters the most. Um, but look, it's a consolation. But I still think they would see the, see the season as um, as a bit of a failure. And uh, as for Olympic, yeah, it's a complete it's a complete failure for them, which is which is very very harsh to use that word. But you know, to finish to finish uh, second in the league and then second, you know, runner up in the uh, grand final, 
it, it, this would be absolutely gut wrenching for him. Absolutely would be. But back to the Lions. Talk more about them in just a moment. But first, we're going to hear from the Lions coach, Darren Syme, goal scorer and retiring hero, Nathan Reardon, goalkeeper, Luke Boring, and defender, Tommy Jarrett. Let's hear what the four Lions guys had to say after the win last night. I just want to coach of Lions. Don't stop, Darren, mate. Congratulations. Thank you very much. First year as head coach, a grand final win. How do you feel? Sorry. Sorry. Hang on to my mum. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Um, sorry, first year of coach. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, a, mi- a mixture of um, relief and, and you know joy, I suppose. I'm, I'm really happy for the boys. The season could have just petered out, but you know, I asked them to give everything they had for the last few weeks, and they did it. So they thoroughly deserve what they've got tonight. As for the game, it was a really tight, tense game. The first goal is always going to be crucial. Do you feel confident you see the game out when you manage to get that goal? Uh, yes and well, no, actually, to be honest. A second one would have been nice just to kind of put everyone at ease. That means they would have had to score three goals. Um, and I think tonight, you know, defensively, we were very strong, so they were, they were going to struggle uh, to score three. But, you know, I, I think... We set out with a game plan without the ball and with the ball, and the boys executed it beautifully tonight. What was it like to have a game in this kind of atmosphere? It was quite a really good atmosphere tonight. It was excellent. Yeah, it was excellent. You know, Olympic always bring uh, a nice, a nice crew that, that brightens the place. Uh, our, our crowd again, family and friends. You know, got right behind us towards the end there and carried us over the line. Actually, this is a massive day for the club. Obviously, the Lions women won the MPLW early. What's it mean for the club to be successful on both fronts this year? Oh, it's hugely successful. You know, we we pride ourselves in, in you know, playing a, a style of football that can filter down to, you know, all our juniors as well. We've got a massive junior, you know, boys and girls, so we're really proud of the fact that we can cater for everyone. So when they can come and, and watch both... The uh, men's and the women's team put on nice performances and, and be successful. It's only going to be beneficial for us. So. First club to win the NPR men's final twice. Darren, we'll let you go celebrate. It was a big celebration tonight. Beautiful. Thanks, boys. Thanks for the support through the year. Appreciate it. All right, we're talking about live with Nathan. Win. Nathan, mate, congratulations on the win. Thank you. Cheers, mate. How was it, how did it like to win the championship in your final game? Uh, it's crazy. It was a crazy night, to be honest. Uh, crazy year, COVID, and we've had a, a couple of boys out. We had Sean Carlos uh, with an ACL, and then we had uh, Danny Kim and Josh Brindle South go to the A-League. It's just been an up and down year, but we rallied together the boys, and we, we worked hard for one another, and we, we got the win in the end. You don't score many goals, but you've got a habit of scoring in grand finals. Let's talk us through it. I just like scoring big games, that's all. Uh, I don't know, maybe they think I'm, I'm old, so they don't need to mark me as much, but no, nah, it was good to get one. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have cared where it came from tonight. And what does the win mean about you and the club as a whole? Not just the men, but also the women as well. Yeah, oh, it's, it's huge. It's massive. Like, uh, we've got a great camaraderie with the, with the girls' team. Um, it's awesome to do the double uh, with the girls. So we'll enjoy it and see what happens. We'll get back to the celebrations. Great show. Yeah, enjoy your time. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, Luke Boring, does it get any better than this? No, it doesn't. After the season that we've had and the... Players leaving, coming back, getting new players in to finish on a high like this is awesome. Yeah, and what a show of Perry Park here this, tonight. Yeah, well, I think we're definitely outnumbered uh, with the Olympic supporters. Uh, but, yeah, 
No, big crowd. It's good for Queensland football. So to see everyone down here and uh, really getting behind it. And what a strike, Nathan Reardon, to win it. What was your view on it? Oh, it's, it's, I was directly behind it. As soon as he struck, I said, yeah, no, this, this is going in. And just a fitting ending to, to his career and whatever, uh, all the stuff that he's done over the years. So um, to finish with a goal in grand final and winning, uh, it's, it's, it's obviously a great end for him. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's been a fantastic two weeks for you as well. What's this been like? Uh, it's been pretty hectic. Um, obviously, there's been a bit, a, bit of, uh, a little bit of media attention. Uh, and a whole lot of understanding. Yeah, well. a whole lot of understanding here to my, uh, to my partner that's next to me here. Or my wife now, I should say. My wife. It, it uh, takes a while to get used yeah, to it, believe me. My wife. Um, but, yeah, it's been a bit hectic. To finish on this is, is awesome. Definitely. Well, congratulations on the win. That's two in three years now, and uh, best of luck for 2021. Yeah, see what happens in 2021. Hopefully we can get uh, a few more trophies. That'd be awesome. All right, Tommy, congratulations. How's it feeling? Feels great. It was an unbelievable feeling to, uh, I guess, the last couple of games have been unreal. Um, turn around two, three, no losses to the top two teams and then come back and win both is pretty awesome. And what does it say about the coaching of Darren Syme, getting you guys ready for the finals? I think Simes did a great job of kind of rallying the troops and getting us all up for it, making us have some good belief in ourselves, and, yeah, made sure that there was no doubt at all. And it's been a full team effort, of course. You know, Joey Duckworth going around on a bum leg? Yes, yes. After <laughs> I the think weekend, we can say that. <laughs> I think after the weekend we're a bit surprised that Joey turned up and played, but obviously he's tough and, yeah, pushed through and was, was unreal tonight, as always. Yep, and Nathan Reardon as well. Pretty good way to go out, I would say. Yeah, Rudo's club legend. I think everyone knows that he's he is Lions FC, so it's a perfect way to celebrate him. You couldn't be happier to send him off like that. Excellent. All right, well, congratulations on the win. Best of luck for next year, and I'm going to go because you're making me feel really short. <laughs> no problem, thank you. So that was the reaction from a very happy group of players from Lions FC. Now, you just pointed out to me, we didn't actually talk about the goal, so let's do it right now. And it was in the 51st minute. Matthias Simic won the ball back from Olympic playing out from the backs we talked about earlier. It was something they liked to do. Dan, Dan Leck turned the ball over to Simic. Very good quick ball through to Nathan Reardon, who scored from just on the edge of the penalty area. And it was a goal which you could you could see it coming in a way in the sense that Olympic had been playing out from the back all all night and it had been something that they were, that lines were really pressuring. Yeah, look, it's a case of go try and try, try again, and uh, eventually that sort of that high press, you know, on that on that midfield is what um what brought them in done, and uh, yeah, look, uh, Nathan Reardon, you know, I think we probably did sort of forget about it in a way, is because he does it's a very very rare um, occasion that he does score a goal, but he he loves a goal in a um in a grand final, as you said in the interview last night. He certainly does love a goal in a grand final, as you said in the interview last night. It's his second goal of the season. The other one was in a four-all draw with Gold Coast back in, I think, March or something. So it's certainly a long time between drinks for him. But in the big games, you're right, he really does stand up and deliver for, for Lions in whatever role is necessary. You think back to that grand final two years ago, I think it was Tommy Jarrett from memory who got suspended in the semifinal against Morton Bay. He stepped in to play at centre-back and scored from a set-piece that day. And now he's playing in midfield probably because Sean Carlos is injured and was unavailable to play last night. He hasn't played for most of the season, so he's filled in in the midfield, and he steps up with a goal there as well. So he's really one of those players that wherever you put him in, in a side, he does the job for you, and every team needs a player like that. Yeah, and look, I think that's going to be his legacy at Lions um, as, as he as he sort of announces retirement. Uh, that Yeah, look, he was he's your Mr. Fix-It. You know, wherever... He, I'm sure he, other than um, goalkeeper... 
I'm sure he's played every position uh, over over his career. Um, I know I've seen him play in, in almost in every position. So look, he he's, he is a great club man. Um, and yeah, look, it's almost a fitting sort of farewell for him that he scores the winning goal in a, in a grand final in his last game. Absolutely. And here we have someone who's very, very difficult to replace because every team needs a player, a utility guy like that who can fill in in so many different roles. A couple of other notes from the game we'll talk about now. Joe Duckworth played the game with a fractured tibia, it turned out. We know he went off a week ago in that semi-final to Peninsula Power. We thought it might have been an issue with his knee because that's what he was grabbing at the time. Turned out he had a fractured tibia and he played, I think he played about 70 or 80-odd minutes with that fractured tibia. And if you didn't know that story, I mean, you wouldn't know it. Absolutely not. This, this is um, a remarkable, remarkable feat. Like even even with um, look, I, I don't know what the medical staff did or you know how how we managed to get through the game. I'm not going to speculate you know, whether you know, pain kills or whatever. Um, but the fact that he was able to and able to sort of play at a standard that we know he can as he's the he's the, he's the golden boot winner. And to get through 70 minutes uh, with with a fracture, that that's just yeah, a remarkable toughness and re- remarkable sort of um, sort of you know, mental strength to do it. So that that's um, it's something that you know you should be very very proud of. Um, but but also as well, uh, that would also mean that he's probably not going to take his place in the All Star game and the State v State game next two weeks. I think in the words that we heard last night, uh, he's done. I would have thought so. Winners win, I think, is something that he was saying last night. He might have been a couple <laughs> yes. other words in the middle of that somewhere. But on a, on a more serious note, also got about Darren Simon. It's his first year as the head coach of Lions. As he's stepping into the shoes left by Warren Moon. Certainly a big gap to fill. He's more than done that, hasn't he? It's been a really good season from his side. Not Maybe not in the league, but when it mattered most, he got his side firing. Yeah, look, this is a remarkable coaching performance from Darren Syme. Um, yeah, look, like obviously there was a succession plan uh, when when Warren Moon left to go to the Raw, even before becoming head coach at the Raw. Um, but but yeah, no, so he, he did inherit a lot of players. But he also brought a few uh, sort of you know within the system along and brought uh, brought a few players players in over the season. But um, yeah, look, there was a times there we thought you know, the the dynasty was, you know, maybe, you know, on the decline a little bit. And like I said, somehow, some way, he found a way to, you know, get these get these guys motivated enough to sort of, you know, two big games in two weeks. In fact, in fact, you could almost go four weeks because uh, the last two games of the regular season were against Olympic and Power, which they lost. And so they come back, to come back, you know, in a final series and knock off both those sides that had hand them 3-0 losses in the previous two weeks, that, that again, that's um speaks highly of, you know, his... You know, be able to motivate his troops to be able to put those losses behind and you know show up for the big game. Absolutely, it looked like it looked like the Lions dynasty was coming to an end, and now most certainly is continuing on into 2021 with another trophy this year, and it continues on in the women's as well. And we'll move on to that now. The Lions, I see, four nil winners over Logan Lightning, and this was a game which unfortunately wasn't close. Yeah, no, um, it it didn't uh, look close. It, it was just a case of. For mine, um, Lions by how many, unfortunately. Um, there were signs even, you know, sort of pre-game in the warm-up that low sort of... They, 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 they seem to me as though, you know what, they, that they, they put so much effort into knocking off the Premiers. It was more like they were happy to be there. I'm not saying that they, didn't, they weren't going to try. Of course they were going to try. But, you know, yeah, at the end of the day, Lions came out uh, with a purpose and... The the goal early from Mariel Hecker that that to, for for mine it was it was after it was gone in five minutes that's yeah. that's my sort of critique on that you know a few Logan might disagree with me but yeah look 
That's 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 my view on on it. Well, actually, you did actually call as soon as that when you said ball game. So I'll give you credit for that. You called ball game after the fifth minute. It was a great corner routine yeah. from Tegan Riding picking out Mariel Hecker at the near post. A combination we've seen so many times for Lions over the last couple of years, and it delivered on the big stage once again. Yeah, look, that's um, yeah, it's the old firm basically Hecker to Riding. That's that's how I don't know how many times that combination uh, has has been over the last uh, two seasons. Um, but yeah, that's it's so reliable and um, and yeah, uh, look. At the end of the day, it's uh, what it's what powered this whole women's dynasty is is that combination, and like I said, they've, they've got a, a decent number of uh, sort of you know running mates as well on that. But uh, they're they're the, they're the two main players that you know that it's it, without them, uh, I don't think Lions has the uh, broad success that they have. Well, if it's not Tegan Riding and Marielle Hecker, it's Tegan Riding and Naomi Gunson. That was a combination for the second goal. Really good combination play down the left hand side, and Gunson tees up Riding and. I think that was two and a about half an hour, and this was that was a really good bit of, bit of play as well. Yeah, look, uh, if there's one player I think out of that that line side who's really sort of come on this season is Amy Gunston. Um, she she's uh, like I said, we keep on saying, oh, this is uh, Meryl Hecker and Tegan Riding's team, but she's really blossomed. I think that's because of you know the, 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 her two teammates' dominance that so she's been allowed to sort of uh, take her chances, and yeah, and she's really you know become you know a you know a standard part of that side and it's it's it makes it just gives lions just that extra weapon um if if uh teams are able to shut down the first two then they've got to contend with um with amy gunston i've seen if mario hecker you know she's moving on to the raw we don't know if she's going to play in the npl next year with with lions and if not the opportunity is there for amy gunston's two-step forward and become an even more pivotal part of that side as they go for a three-peat and in the second half there were a couple of goals and chelsea blissett i think there was, there was a penalty decision which i think was I think you can see why it was given. It was maybe 50-50, but it was given. It was good, a nice conversion of the penalty as well. And then again, Chelsea Blissett in stoppage time, getting forward down the left-hand side and making it four. I think Rado Vidisic will be very, very happy at Melbourne City. That he'll, he'll get back at Chelsea Blissett that's in form. Um, look, for mine, she was man of the match, actually. Oh, man of the match. Player of the match, I should say. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, and like I said, not only for two goals, but as well in the first half, that like she did an excellent job. No, no, only attack, sort of moving the attack forward, but also defensively. Where in the rare occasions that um, that Lions were trying to, that sorry, that Logan were trying to challenge. Um, yeah, she did did a great job shutting down Shay Connors, uh, which was probably was one of their, you know, they're probably their most. Their if Logan were ever going to win it, uh, the you know, Connors McGilligan. And um, and Petterwood had to fire, and I think defensively, like Winnie Heatley and um, Chelsea Blissett, uh, who are both going to be playing in the W League, uh, they did an excellent job just shutting it down. So uh, for mine, yeah, player of the final. They obviously did shut that down really well. Winnie Heatley was on the left hand side of the centre backs, mm. and just was left back, and that was the avenue where Shea Connors was trying to get in behind. The, the game plan for Logan seemed to be a couple of link up passes, and then get Shea Connors in behind and. They tried it a couple of times. I think she got through once, but was slightly offside. And it became very much, Lions were very aware of what the plan was. And it just didn't seem to click. Yeah, look, and that's where and that's where you put your two strongest defenders. And that, and that, that was you know, apparent from the very beginning that that was going to be Logan's, you know, one play was, you know, that, you know, out to the right for Shea Connors and hopefully then cut back to either, you know, waiting McGilligan or Petterwood. And yeah, they just did so, like Heatley and Blissett did so well to, to shut that down. And really, there wasn't much answers um, outside of that for Logan. Definitely. And look, they did do really well defensive. We also give credit here to Logan. And they did get to the grand final. They beat Gold Coast United away from home last 
last week. That's something not many teams have done this year. They had, they had, they actually were at one point in the last few weeks of the season, 50-50, whether they were going to mm. make the finals. They beat Capalabar on the road. They, they drew with East. They managed to get into the finals, beat Gold Coast on the road, and get to the grand final. So I think we have to give Logan a bit of credit here as well that they got to the grand final, which is, which is no mean feat by any, any, any terms, really. It's a, if you get to the grand final, you've had a good year. Absolutely, and that, that, yeah, absolutely, I agree with you on that. You know, full credit to Logan. Um, they've had, they've had a great season. They're going they're going to build upon that. Um, yeah, it just wasn't their day yesterday, and I think they 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 are taking on a much more superior team. You know, across the park, that's no fault of theirs. Um, they did they did the best they can, I think. Um, and, and yeah, it's just it just wasn't to be. And they, and like I said, they'll. I'm sure they'll come back next season, you know, looking to sort of wrongs and maybe, you know, have another shot, not only at Lions, but also as well, you know, you know, winning a premiership or a grand final. Absolutely. Certainly giving them a taste of it. But yesterday was most certainly Lions SC's days. So, I and mean, after the game, we caught up with the coach, Rob Askew, and, and Marielle Hecker, the captain as well. So let's hear what they both had to say after the win yesterday over Logan. Former the winning coach, Rob Askew. Rob, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, back-to-back grand final championship here at Lions. What's it, what's it feel like? Oh, it's great. Um, it's it's a, a different group of players the last year, and um, so I mean we had we had to rebuild a little bit, and um, it's been a fantastic group of players to work with. They're very positive. Um, it's a great um, there's a great unity amongst them. Uh, they've got a great appetite for work. A bunch of great competitors, and I think they they certainly deserve what they got tonight. You know, we won a double last year. How hard was it to keep that hunger going to get more silverware again this year? Oh, it's, it's never hard. I mean, if you're a, if you're a competitor, you always want to win. And um, you know, we're very disappointed not to win win the league. It's it's the main prize at, at uh, Lions. You know, we have one star on our shirt. We we put stars on our shirt for winning the league. But grand finals are very special days, and uh, they're, they're it's always a pleasure to be part of, and even more and even greater to win them. And just one on the game side. How important was that early goal just to settle things down? It's very important for us. We score early, and first we usually go on a win. And um, it's it's only when the opposition scores first, and then then they sit back, and it can be hard to break down that it becomes difficult. So, yeah, that first, that early goal was very uh, very important in how the how the game unfolded. We're just talking about this is your seventh grand final in nine years. You're becoming a bit of an old hand at this. Um, yeah, but I, I if you go back a long while, I lost three in a row. So uh, and. Uh, so you got to. I think you got to lose a few to, to learn how to how to, to deal with it. And um, I've I've lost a few. And but yeah, this this is the ninth grand final in a row, and I never get sick of it. And I want to be back here next year when when, when it's uh, with Lions again. Well, you guys talk about this one. Congratulations, Excuse me. Thanks. Cheers. Oh, we're talking about the Lions, Mariel Hecker. Mariel, congratulations. Thank you, guys. Back to back grand final champions. Now, how do you feel? Oh, it's, I think it, it's, during COVID, it's tough to imagine that we'll be playing football. So being champions again, back to back, I think we're very pleased and we worked really hard throughout the season. We had two pre-seasons. It was really tough, but really grateful that we could just win in the end. It's definitely been a season like now. What's it like to be captain of the side? Well, it's pretty, I think it's really easy. The girls make it really easy. We have quite a few captains. I think we just divide a little bit of the roles. But at the end of the day, everyone's full-time, super dedicated. So I only really need to yell a little bit. And they know what they're doing, so it's not that hard. You all scored the first goal today. Do you not talk us through it? Oh, well, I was just... I saw all that space and I made the run and I was yelling for Tegan. And I'm really glad that she made that perfect ball. So it wasn't really hard just to tap in. So I'm really grateful to score the first goal. It just makes it a little bit easier and takes that pressure away. 
And firstly for yourself, you're looking forward to what's coming up in a couple of months ahead? Well, yeah, very excited. I have one day off tomorrow and then straight into another <laughs> pre-season. But I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I think it's it's going to be a real, bit new challenge and very excited to step up to the next level. We'll make sure you're taking time to celebrate this. Congratulations. Yeah, definitely will. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank So that was a very happy captain and coach. And we should talk about the co- coach Rob Askew's record in the MPL because it's absolutely extraordinary. You go right back to 2015 when when the MPL era started for the women and he won the grand final with the gap over Palm Beach, backed that up the next year with Olympic. Two more grand finals, which they unfortunately lost to Power and the Brisbane Raw, and then two years in a row now with Lions. So it's six grand finals out of six in terms of participation, four wins. It's a truly astonishing record, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Rob Askew is the, he he is the doyen of you know women's coaching uh, in this state. Um, yeah, like just summed up perfectly. You know, every grand final in the NPL W era, and look, I think I he he sounds motivated. He wants more, and uh, look, I I would not put it past him and Lions or you know whoever else in the future. You know that he, they won't be there. Though. He's exceptional coach. You know it's a, a very very simple philosophy. I think that he has, and uh, you know about you know winning and about you know sort of getting the best out of your side, and it's it's working to a T. And um, yeah, the like I said this this Lions women's team uh, dynasty may go for a while yet, but obviously with um, some some changes, um, it might be some challenges ahead. But uh, you wouldn't back against him. Well, you heard him in that interview there. He talks about. It's easy to motivate the players. I asked me, he said, how do you keep the players going year in year? He says, it's easy to motivate to win trophies. So I think I have no doubt they're going to continue through that. They may lose Marielle Hecker. They may lose Winnie Heatley. But I've got no doubt they'll bring in players to strengthen. I think this will continue on for quite a while. Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure what they've got coming through as far as as of their under 18s and whatnot. But look, if if you look at players that they have brought up um, within within their system, uh, look, they they do they do certainly uh, look like that they get, they've got a few years left in them. Like you look at a player like uh, Rebecca Kirkup, for example, who only sort of figured latencies after being out for 18 months with with injury. How how much of effect that she's had? You know, if they lose Mariel Hecker uh, and she goes on with the Raw, and then you know who knows? You know what what her future holds. Um, yeah, I think they've got a couple of players there that can sort of step up into into that role. And you wouldn't be, again, you wouldn't be surprised if they're back on this day in 12 months' time. So Leah Davidson will also go down to Melbourne City, so she may or yep, may Chelsea not come Blizzard. back for the MPL next year as well. So they may fill, but I think there's no doubt they'll they'll fill those roles quite right. So we'll talk about the future of the MPLW competition later on because we know there's a few teams re-entering the competition. So we'll talk about that later on. But first, we'll go through the FQPL grand final on Friday night, Adam. This was a 2-1 win for Logan Lightning in extra time over Southwest Queensland Thunder. The Thunder took the lead very early on through um, Brody Welch and then Jeb Brown with the equaliser laid on and then Adam Egger wins it in in extra time. And what was a really good game and a great atmosphere as well at Perry Park between between two sides, which have got pretty large fan bases. And it was great to see the Thunder fans come down en masse from Toowoomba as well. It was, and that, and that sort of really made the night. Uh, the Friday night grand final for the FQPL. Um, yeah, and it was a really, really good night of football. Like uh, yesterday, we just can't be raving enough about the atmosphere on that. But look, Friday night was still great. Uh, it was good. It was good to see Thunder. You know, you know, go for a trophy. I know that they they haven't had much sort of success as far as you know potential sort of trophies. You know. In a season, but this is a, this is a very very good side, um, and, and I think it was noted by more than a few people in the know that you know both these sides, both Logan and M, and you know Southwest Queensland Thunder, 
are both sort of probably uh, definitely sort of NPL stand. They probably, you know, even if they, the way they played on Friday night, the stand of that game, you'd say that they actually fit very, very comfortably, you know, at that NPL level. Obviously, we know Logan, they will play NPL next year and yep. promoted as the league league winner. Thunder we've seen in the NPL before. And this it's almost like taking a step back for them to take two steps forward. That seems like that plan is well and truly working. They've got a really good base now players from the from the Toowoomba region, including a couple of the towns in and around that, around Toowoomba as well. And with the addition of the couple of Italian guys they brought in, Mirko Crociati and Pasquale De Vita, they're really looking like a really competitive side, aren't they? And they might be one of the early favourites alongside Brisbane City to do well next year in this competition. Oh, look, I have them as the favourites uh, for next season. I think, uh, like, like Logan's sort of path, that you know, it, took him, it took him three attempts to get to the NPL for them. Um, it may be one more year for Thunder to, to return to the top flight. But, uh, look, they keep that side together uh, with uh, Crociati and Davida, who are both... I've, first time I've seen them play live, um, call me impressed. I think they're yeah. both quality players, um, and and as well, they've got to like, and also as well, they're, they're young attackers, uh, Brody Welsh and Joseph Scott as well. Uh, they they were both very very good, as well, and uh, Vico Saruga as well, who uh, who also as well, he has a very very imposing presence. That that attacking that attacking formation that they're gonna they're gonna do well if they can keep them together next season. Absolutely, I did, I did co-commentary for Football Queensland with James in that round one game for Thunder v. Rosa Rose, and you could tell that day that Thunder were really building to something. You could see defensively with Mirko Crotchardi in the back four, you could see that defensive unit really adding. He added a bit of bite to it, and they were a lot more aggressive in their defending, so we hadn't seen from him in the MPL era. And they were very, very bullish on. You mentioned Veko Segura. They were, they were very. They, he, they thought he was going to be one of the underrated signings of the year out of the Toowoomba, Toowoomba League up there, and that's proven to be absolutely correct. He's been influential, and Pasquale Vita didn't play that day, Adam, but he was warming up on the field. Then they were they were absolutely certain he was going to have a huge impact for them, and his his attitude and his desire was something that they were talking about. If they weren't they didn't expect him to be out there warming up. His clearance hadn't come through from memory to play, unfortunately, but he was out there warming up before the game with his teammates, ready to go. I think that shows you the mentality that these guys have brought to the side, and you can see the future there for Thunder being really really bright. Yeah, look, let, let, let's be clear that they um they were one worldy goal away from, you know, from actually, you know, being promoted. And that's, like I said, the, the margins were that tight, you know, the, between Thunder, you know, going up or Logan going up. It came down to uh, Harrison Bowen goal on a Sunday afternoon at, at Kiwana. That's what's, what's in the end is what sunk them. So, look, they're, they're very, very close. And even so, I would, again, as I said before, I, I would have them as the, assume that they're the most majority side come back next season. Um, and they may even they may even recruit more. Um, yeah, I would have them as a favourites to go up next season. Depending, what, fine the, depending on what City does, of course. Yeah, it's fine margins the whole season for them between Logan and the Thunder. We'll go through the game itself. And it was a good start for Thunder, actually. They scored in this about seventh minute. And they started really brightly. And it was just as you thought they were going to hold on. And Logan got back into it, didn't they? It was one of those where Thunder seemed like they would, they'd dominated the game. They were settling for the 1-0. And then Logan, as a good team always does, they find a way. Yeah, and I think that's probably the one, um, the one sort of fatal mistake that Thunder did. That you know they they, they were in control of much of the game. Um, look, Logan had their chances, but about seventy five minutes, we thought, wow, that Logan is going to find tough to find a way through. And it was at that sort of that point where they sort of started to 
almost see the finishing line, and that's when they sort of went a little bit defensive, a little bit compact, and that was what uh, Logan needed to come back. And it was a, a header by uh, by Captain Jeb Brown that equalised, and uh, that that I think that was the momentum swinger because you sort of from that point on you thought, okay, Logan are going to probably you know find a way to um, to win it, and then the penalty in the third minute of uh, extra time is uh, is what what ended up being the um, the game winner. Obviously, we saw plenty of penalties over the weekend at the Parc de Paris, and this one was probably the most obvious one that was given. There's not much com- not much argument or complaint about this one. It was pretty clear that Pierce Clark did bring down Felly Sheriff in the penalty area. Yeah, yeah, no, look, did not absolutely uh, no um, no sort of doubt. I thought um, referee Toaster I had an excellent game on um, on Friday night. Uh, look, it, it wasn't it wasn't uh, too many incidents. I know I know Thunder. Thunder fans will be a little bit um, annoyed, but you know, again, when you when you are parochial, sometimes you'll see things that aren't aren't really there. Um, but but yeah, look, uh, but uh, big credit to both teams. Uh, it was a very very ga- good game of football. Look, Logan, you've got to give credit how tough they are. They've, they've gone through two extra time games in this final series. Both times had to come from behind. So look, I think you know as far as their prospects for next season goes. Um, all being well as far as, you know, recruitment and, you know, keeping the side together. You've got to have a couple of players come back as well. Um, look, I think they'll be fine next year in NPL from what I've seen. Um, they, they, they look like they play a style game. And what's also as well, one more thing about Logan is that when they equalise, I don't think they're ever going to settle and sit. Even even when they got in front, they I don't think they know how to defend or how to you know, quite park the bus. Now, I think they believe that their best form of defence attack. And they, they did the same against Wolves. In the semi-final, and they did last uh, on Friday night against Thunder, where you know basically they had they were in the you know with five minutes to go and stop each time. They were still playing four-two-four. Absolutely, they were, and it was a joy to see the team actually go with that approach as opposed to sitting back. Because more nothing against Thunder, but you see that so often teams get the goal in front yeah. and then sit back in a big game and protect. It was great to see Logan continue to try and push forward. And we'll hear from Rich Coglin in a minute, but this was this was a cherry on top of the icing on the cake for them. The priority was clearly just get to the NPL. They'd been so close yeah. for so long, and they were able to get over the line on the final day. And this was just a great reward on top of that. Look, we say say that the weekend was uh, was won by Lions as a club. Logan finished a very finished second, a uh, clear second because uh, the success of their FQPL team, their women's team, make it to the grand final. Um, and and yeah, look, it, it, you can think that you know after many years of of sort of you know a few sort of you know false dawns and you know and sort of disappointment, you know they're, they're a club that you know can firmly sort of fit themselves within sort of you know the top tier of clubs uh, in this state. Absolutely, we'll we'll cut up with Rick Coggan after the game on Friday night. So let's hear what the winning coach of Logan Lightning had to say. We're talking about the winning coach of Logan Lightning, Rick Coggan. Rick, congratulations. Thank you. You went through the same situation last week with Wynn Wolves coming from behind. Did that give you confidence and the players' confidence you could do it once again this week? Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the things that we touched on, obviously, during the, the intermission before the start of extra time, that we had been here before. We had overcome the odds and we knew that we had the we had it in our legs and had it mentally to, to overcome that. So, yeah, we're, obviously we spoke about that and, and executed. You had a bit of a slow start time. Was that kind of down a bit to the 120 minutes last week? Or yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, possibly that. Also, I think... Motivation-wise, it was probably more in, in uh, Thunder's court than ours. You know, our main priority, make no mistakes, was the league and promotion. So, 
to get up and go again was a, was a bit of a challenge in itself. But we, you know, coming into a grand final, we're here to perform. Slow start, but we picked ourselves up. Yeah. You mentioned the um, priority bringing the promotion. Being so close the last couple of years as a club, how important was this to get over the line this year after being so close? Uh, massive. It, it was everything. I think we, we were very clear on that from myself to the players, the players group internally. Um, honestly, not, not any pressure from the club, but I, I, I certainly knew obviously what happened in previous years. Uh, and I felt we had the playing group and we had the, the infrastructure and the environment right to get this, get this done. So it was, it was a huge, huge catalyst. Yeah. And what does this mean for the club's first tr- second trophy in the year? Because they've done a double now. Mm. This is, in terms of what does it mean for the club as a whole? Uh, I genuinely, genuinely think the club is in, is in a really good position to push on and, and become hopefully a, a stable and then a big NPL club. I really do. I think we have to get it right next year. There's no point doing all this work to come straight back down. And I think we've got a lot of work to do and a lot of improvement, a lot of growth to do, but I think we're in a really good position to, uh, to, do, to do so. And the first two grand finals will come as well tonight, this weekend. Yeah, which is, which is great, right? Not, not just for us, but for the women and, uh, and all the juniors seeing the success of both teams. I think as a club, it's uh, obviously been a tremendous year. And, and like I said, we're just really, we'll be looking to build on that and make sure that we, we use it as a platform for better. Well, you get celebrations. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Cheers. So I was very happy and content. Rick Coglin there on Friday night after the game against South West Queensland Thunder in the FQPL Grand Final. That brings to an end the the league season here in Football Queensland, Adam. But there's still two weeks to go. We've got games next Saturday against the Brisbane Raw, the men's and women's all-stars of these competitions, which will be a great great test to them up against the Raw. Good chance for them to show themselves against professional clubs. And then the week after, you've got the games I'm personally looking forward to the Origin Games against Football New South Wales, which should be a fantastic occasion. Yeah, the, foot, the Festival of Football rolls on, sponsored by Kappa. Better get that plug in. Um, and, and yeah, look, uh, yeah, we're done. We're done with the uh, club club stuff as far as the league season goes. But we have got two very, very good weeks to go. Um, I, I am fascinated to see not only how the the All Star teams go against uh, go against the Raw. Uh, I, and, but also as well, the state v state uh, concept. I think that's going to be uh, that if uh, New South Wales can come up and take this seriously, which all indications so far is yes, they are. They're really sort of you know sort of staying staying and really sort of go kick into high gear as far as you know the promotion on on social media. And um, yeah, look, if they take this seriously, I think it's going to be this is going to be a fixture that we're going to look forward to the end of every season, you know, going forward because it's a fascinating thing. And so far, it's been received very well. So. I think, um, yeah, bring on the state be state in two weeks' time at Perry Park. So if it does remain as an annual fixture, it'll be a re- it'll be something that players look forward to every single year, the chance to play for Queensland against New South Wales. The best against the best. It'll be really interesting to see. We've talked about it for so long which state is the better state in terms of player development and players and all the rest of it. Well, now we're going to find out. Normally it's about arguing about Victoria, but in this case, New South Wales, it's going to be very interesting to find out the standard of the two leagues because we see it a bit... In the FFA Cup, we see it a bit in the national final series, but this will be the best versus the best. Yeah, yeah, and this this all star format. Um, look, you'd, you'd hope that it's also pride for the state um, rather than just just the club, as it is for FFA Cup or uh, national national finals. And then, look, I actually think this is probably a good format to replace the national final series. It's just it was a good concept as far as theoretically, it just never really um, sort of resonated with people. I think I think also at the end of a long season as well, sort of same old same old. But uh, look, I think this state v state format, and look, it may be sort of rolled out across. 
across the country, you know, it, depending on the success of these games in two weeks' time. Um, but I think it's a fitting way, and I think as well, to say that you represented not only you know, for a lot of players as well, to have representative honours as far as not everyone's going to represent their country, but if you're going to represent your state, even if you're just playing there, in the case of a number of players, uh, they'll be taking part in the uh, the uh, MPL men all-stars at least, um, that it'd be something to say, you know what, you represent your state. And I think, I think above all, I think that that's always, you know, something you can, you know, list as an achievement. Well, there's nothing stopping it in future years, Adam, from actually becoming just pick players from born in your state. There's nothing stopping it reverting to a system like that if you want to do that. But I'm very interested to see how this pans out in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk about very quickly now, we know the league structure has been confirmed for next year. We know that there's going to be an additional league in the men's side and in the women's. We'll go through the, the eight sides in FQPL to in the men's now. We've got Kabulcha, Kumara, Grange, Thistle, Magic United, North Star, Sanford, Turinga, Rose and Virginia United. Some some names there who are quite familiar to football fans here in South East Queens and then a couple of others who maybe perhaps not, Adam. Yeah, look, um, clubs like Grange, Turinga, North Star, historic clubs, uh, rough for them to, you know, to be joining, you know, the, the you know, Football Queensland Leagues next year. Um, Virginia are emerging, an emerging club, and Coomer as well, you know, as well. We've seen them, you know, have national, you know, notoriety, and obviously uh, Raw legend Enrique is their TD at the moment, so I'm sure that he'd be, that, you know, he's been gearing up for a big season for that for that club. Um, on the other side of the coin, um, look, uh, Magic United. Uh, that's uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, I think they're best known as being a feeder club for Gold Coast Knights, which I I put tantamount to, say for example, uh, Albany Creek uh, f- coming into the league, who are a known sort of well, uh, sister club of uh, Morton Bay United, or even uh, Newmarket City and City uh, Brisbane City relationships. So, so yeah, look. Uh, I don't know enough to, to re-raise a comment. I've heard a few things that they didn't even, they hadn't even participate in the Gold Coast League to have a senior team. So I don't know how this has happened. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting one. I'm, I'm not going to dismiss it and say, oh, it's a wrong decision. But I think I, I, my, I'm sort of, you know, wait to see further evidence before making a final judgment on that. Player technical director, Enrique, by the way. But is he playing, is he? He's still playing. But... Oh. Okay. With the, with Magic, it's very interesting. Isn't it? You've got some really historic clubs down on the Gold Coast. You've got Surface Paradise, Apollo, Palm Beach for two. I don't think either of them applied for no. for the license for FQPL, which is a bit of a shame because they would be much more established, stable clubs on the Gold Coast, which might give a different fan base down there an avenue into football Queensland. Perhaps eventually they will earn the promotion into it. We know there's going to be promotion into, into and out of FQPL too, but I, I agree with you. Magic's a bit of a strange one. Yeah, look, and maybe it was maybe it was a ba- basis of a you know, geographical um, a geographical sort of thing having a, a second um, a second Gold Coast team based down there, which would be make it within four club four Gold Coast clubs across the FQPL men leagues. Um, yeah, but as far as some of the other ones, I I, I know we've talked about it at length um, off air, but uh, the Gap is the one uh, club that will on the you know the missed out list. So I'm very very surprised uh, didn't given given the success over the years of their women's program, you have hoped that maybe that they would have further sort of emphasis in the men's, and uh, they are they are playing in uh, Brisbane Premier League. So maybe maybe it's the, the criteria set. Um, and maybe they felt that at the moment the best the best chance for them to join the FQPL maybe maybe through a promotion that starts at the end of uh, 2021 into 2022. 
They did apply this Roverlooks, and I was very surprised they Roverlooks as well. But uh, that was mm-hmm. that was the one I was looking for on the list. Like, well, I thought they would have been there, but they weren't. Look at the women's quickly as well. There's four teams joining the women, and there's there's two. It's actually five, including Western Pro. They're returning after dropping out at the beginning of this season. Peninsula Power, the 2017 MPLW Grand Final winner, they return to the league, which will be a great addition. We've got Virginia United joining, and then you've got Brisbane City and Olympic FC, who were trying to get in 12 months prior. They are now here. And it's going to be very fascinating to hear what they achieve, Adam. Well, Brisbane City are already making waves um, with a number of signings. Uh, uh, Kapalba FC coach uh, Ski Hannafin has uh, has joined um, Brisbane City and already has made a couple of signings. And look, I think um, if Patton's anything to show for you, he did say in the in the announcement he was quite saying that you know they want to be top four and the number of if the players that you know I know that uh, Hannafin has still have had under his guidance over through at Capalaba at Morton Bay prior to that if they join him at City there's a very very real chance that they will be a top four um, threat and also as well it may weaken the chances of some of the other clubs that were sort of you know top contenders um, in the season just gone so that is a fascinating view. Uh, also, as well, uh, potential power obviously returned. They've got they've got a great nursery of players. Um, they've been a big fixture in the Brisbane Women's Premier League, and I think they'll be they'll be competitive. And if they, you know, they they will probably recruit heavily. And um, Olympic as well, the Capital One winners as well. And that, again, Olympic are a proud club, and they're not they're not going to go out there and put a side out to get you know beaten every week. They, they're going to be they're going to want to be competitive as well. And uh, Danny Byrne, uh, the former. Uh, the former sort of player, a long-time player for Olympic, is their, is their coach, and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating again to see the evolution of the uh, MPL women, especially sixteen teams, and then uh, the split into the uh, the two leagues at the back end of the twenty twenty one season. Yeah, that split's going to be very interesting. They're going to play each other once, I believe, and then after that's going to split into two leagues. They will have the MPL women's and FQPL women's. It's very interesting to see how that pans out. You're going to have to go to a good start next year. I mean, we can talk about that. In January, February, March, whenever the season wants to resume, I <laughs> yeah. think we're all looking forward to a couple of weeks off, months off the summer. Oh wait, there's the A League. There goes that plan. Oh, no, well, it's a break. At least it's a break for us and this show as we know it. But uh, yes, A League coming up at the end of December. Yep, so this is probably going to be the last edition of the MPL Sunday Show for 2020. We might talk about the games again, the All Star games and and the Origin fixture probably on our regular show with James hosting it on Wednesdays, but. This will be the last show of the MPL Sunday show of the year, and it's been a lot of fun bringing it to you, Adam. It has. Um, yeah, it's given us a focus, you know, and be able to sort of, you know, be able to focus on the local leagues rather than sort of, you know, just being an afterthought to the A-League and whatnot. Um, it's been a pleasure bringing it uh, to it. We've seen a lot of games, talked about a lot of things, and also as well, uh, you know, thank everyone, you know, actually to, you know, having a listen and supporting the show. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't do this uh, without sort of the interaction, and a thank you of course, to the, the coaches, the players, the clubs that give us access, access to treat us well that when we're there, we go, look, it's, this wouldn't be half as fun without, without their help and their support. So, you know, a big, a big thank you to everyone, you know, for this, for this little side project of ours. And look, we'll be back bigger, bigger and better in uh, 2021. Absolutely. You always thank the players and coaches. They give so much of their time to us after games. Sometimes they don't really want to talk if the result doesn't <laughs> quite go their way or if there's a, Something happens during the game, but they always take the time to talk to us, and we always appreciate that. You're right, the clubs are absolutely fantastic as well, and we certainly appreciate the, the viewers listening, or listeners to this show, because it's been quite quite impre- amazing, actually, in terms of the numbers that we've been getting on have been really impressive. So we thank all of the, the clubs, 
players and the listeners. And yeah, we'll be back next year. Yep, we'll do it again. All right, for now, we'll get out of here and we'll talk to you later.